look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money here on News on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. I'm here with uh, Andrew today. Faisal's on holidays. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, you know, Faisal being on holidays is always a good time to come in. Well, it means we're going to have a good show. He's not here to wreck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Faisal, if you're listening. All right. We've got a pretty good show today. We're going to do, um, we're going to talk about brain training. Uh, we talk about, um, you know, staying active in retirement and as you age. Uh, the question is, can you, you know, that old adage, if you lose it or if you don't use it, you lose it. Can you actually train your brain and improve or maintain cognitive ability as you get older? Well, you know, let's look at those mental calisthenics. Yeah, that's um, right. And sort of really push that thing forward and see what it feels like and, and talk to people about that. Sometimes there's um, difficult conversations that you have to have with family uh, as you move mm-hmm. into retirement. Uh, certainly as you talk about estate and legacy planning, if you're a, uh, in a business, business succession, these kinds of things. We're going to talk to a communications expert about how to have those conversations in a productive way today and mm-hmm. perhaps get around some of the, you know, the difficulty of, uh, of having those. You know, Dave, and I think that's a really interesting piece, right? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's different from when our parents retired. Oh, um, yeah. yeah because, because people didn't talk about that stuff. Right. And I think that it's really important in today's day and age that we, we get together, we're around the table, and we have a conversation that's going to have some value about what's going to happen next and what do I want. Yeah. And the, the fact remains that there'll be the biggest wealth transfer in the history of the world happening over the next 20 to 25 years. Yeah. So it's not just about money, right? It's, not at it's all. It's more than that, but it is about um, avoiding family conflicts and so on and so forth. A really important piece. And how do companies prevent brain drain? Right? We've got a massive number of very skilled workers leaving the workforce in the next little while. And brain drain originally was everybody going and working somewhere else other right. than Canada or Alberta. Yeah. And now it's getting a little bit bigger, <laughs> uh, just, just a different kind. Leaving the workforce. So how to, and how do companies retain that knowledge, right? We talk about succession planning or companies, boards talk about succession planning amongst the CEO and senior executives, but maybe it's much mm-hmm. broader than that, right? Maybe it's a much bigger topic than that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, often people, as they retire, they they want to slow down, but they want to give back. There's coaching the younger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the younger generation, transferring well, um, knowledge. Uh, that's that's a really really important piece. Okay, uh, so pretty cool. Stick around for those segments. Now, uh, Faisal and I often do kind of the water cooler talk, right? And um, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, and I'm going to yeah. ask you a little bit of, to think back over the course of the past week and. Th- Think a little bit about the kind of common conversations or a common thread that you were having conversations with clients or, you know, people that came in for second opinions or whatever the case may be. You know, the biggest common thread right now is what we're seeing in the marketplace. And what Mm -hmm. we've seen is an increase in the volatility of the markets. Um, We've seen um, us or you, Mm -hmm. I, Faisal, talk on the radio recently, talk about new highs in the markets. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not translating necessarily to their portfolio. Um, But new highs also bring, you know, old lows too. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a, a, a lot of confusion out there. And of course, with the most recent trade, what was trade spat with, with Trump in the U S and pretty much everybody around the world, <laughs> um, there's, there's no way out of that. And, um, most recently last week, Turkey, yeah. um, these things are starting to get some fear up there and, you know, volatility is starting to reappear. It's, uh, it's, it's head. Well, I, I, w- I would concur. So the common conversation, fear is rearing its ugly head again, right? Yeah. People are very nervous. Preservation of their capital, Mm-hmm. Um, is is becoming 
uh, a topic. There's frustration out yes. there, right? Because the markets will take a step forward, then take a step back and a step forward, a step back. Don't seem to be making much progress, right? And the fact of the matter is it's a very, um, I call it a noisy environment. Uh, Faisal called me out on that, um, rightfully so, partly uh, a couple of weeks back. But there is, you know, with, with the current U.S. administration's fascination with Twitter, there's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of time, information out there, and, and it, creates, um, it creates its own sort of uh, news cycle, right, and concern. I would call it somewhat chaos. Yeah, yeah, some chaos. So I, I find that I find it very interesting, and it's difficult sometimes to talk about um, to try to strip away what is noise, right? Mm-hmm. To get down to what is truly news, and then understand what the news's impact is from a global economics perspective, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Now I find it interesting, um, you know, doing a lot of work this past week on um, valuations, on global economics. Right um, on earnings, mm-hmm. S and P earnings season coming to a close. Call it the holy trinity; those, those areas, and it tells you a different story uh, than what we hear about in the news. So this this fear is being created by 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 that media cycle, that news cycle that we talk about. But the holy trinity of the valuations and economics and um, and earnings are actually underpinning still pretty good. But it's yeah. not translating, as you said, no, into not- uh, in, into market performance. Right. In fact, again, if you look, the only market that's had any success at all this year is still the U.S. market. And in fact, you'd rank them, Dow being the lowest, right? Second is the S&P, and then the S&P outperformed by the NASDAQ. But the S&P really being largely driven by not five stocks anymore. No, four. Four. Yeah. Last, last year, the five stocks were the fangs. So right. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Yeah. Um, now we call it MAGA. Yeah, Microsoft, well, Apple, bump Facebook, Google. right? They got hammered. Yeah, they're negative on a year-to-date basis as yeah. of Friday. Um, so now it's down to four stocks. So the breadth, right. of, the breadth of the move that we've seen in the market is not very um, is not very wide. Well, no, and and when you think about earnings last year and even going into this year, or or those five stocks, they they had a tremendous amount of push on that index. Oh yeah, for sure. In both the Nasdaq and in in uh, in the S and P five hundred. Yeah, and. The, expect- the expectation moving forward it becomes a little bit odd because they were so large, uh, so largely driving that market last year. Yeah, well, here, and here's where the, the news cycle becomes confusing again, right? So you'll talk mm-hmm. about an S&P up, call it 5% or something to that effect. But uh, I don't know the exact number is this week, so don't hold me to this, but it'll be three quarters of that return, most likely, driven by those four stocks. That's right. Right? So, um, and then global markets, really flat to negative. So really, you should own four stocks in the entire world, right? Well, in a balanced portfolio, like if you're putting together a strategy and you don't want concentration risks, all of your money in four stocks, you've well, got a problem. And, and truly, this is concentration risk at the yeah. highest degree. It's in one market being the U.S. Yeah. It's one sector being technology. Right. Um, and it's all, if you look at those four companies, they're all really attracted to the cloud. So there's a concern that goes on. It's if one of them goes, maybe all of them go at the same time. And we see a 2000, 2001 scenario back to the tech wreck. Yeah. Now, here, here's, this is interesting. You and I have talked about this uh, often, but um, if, you, if you miss the five or 10 best trading days in any given year, yeah. You, you miss most of the return. You do. Right? It's, it's about 80%. <laughs> you like, miss like, most of and, it. and lots of companies have done the research. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. You miss five or 10 of the best trading days, you give up the majority of your return. Yeah, so the, the, the trouble becomes, you know, this frustration that we all feel. And trust, trust me, we feel it too, right? Mm-hmm. We, we watch this stuff all day, every day. 
uh, and you feel a sense of frustration, and then you'll get a very short period of time. Yep. Right? Where all of a sudden, bang, you'll you'll capture it. So if you've got a strategy in place and you you've got to wait for that strategy to take place, but it's frustrating. So oh, that water sure. cooler talk that for I'm sure. having with people is I'm frustrated with that, Dave. Right? I. We're, we're taking a step back and then a step forward. We're going nowhere. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And there will, and I don't know if it's going to happen in the next two weeks, two months, or the next, you know, the next year. Nobody knows the timing on that thing. But the, the important piece is you've got to make some strategy decisions, and then you better have an appropriate time horizon to allow that to, to play out. And now, ex- all the day traders out there are going to call us and send us hate mail. Send it all to Andrew. Send it all to Andrew. He's, he's really good at answering those things. But the fact of the matter is in retirement, I'm not sure it's appropriate to take on the kind of concentration risk that you would need to get to take in order to capture those big double-digit rates of return. Or even market risk, Dave. And what I mean by that is, you know, even if you believe that the markets are going to go up, you have to, and you want to add a, a large portion of your portfolio to, to the markets or equities, that's fine. But you have to also understand that, they will have more volatility. Mm. That volatility will translate to bigger lows and bigger highs. But are you willing to take the ride? Yeah, exactly. But you got to. Uh, I'm just going to maybe close it off on this point. Go back and do the research, right? Because uh, emotionally, there's behavioral finance. Uh, often we talk about capitulation all the time. People will feel that they'll capitulate at the wrong time. The pain becomes too great, right? That's when we start to see bad decisions being made. Uh, review your strategy understand it and look at the look at the underlying um, fundamentals of mm-hmm. the decision that you're trying to make right the in the absence of recession let me just share with this with people in the absence of being in a recessionary year okay, the chance of a 20 percent pullback and I'm talking in the American markets because this is where I've, I've yes. got solid research if you go back to 1929 okay the chance of that is 1.8 percent very small okay from zero to minus 20 percent, will be about a 19, 20% probability. So there's an 80% probability in the absence of a recession that you're going to see positive results, right? Yep. So now you've got to build a strategy around what that research indicates, what your goals and objectives are, and what's suitable for you. That's and right. then stay the course, because if you change midstream, often that's driven by those emotional decisions that create problems. And the emotional decision always creates problems. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay, let's leave it at that. We can we can beat this horse, uh, horse uh, to death <laughs> anymore. Uh, we've got an upcoming seminar. We're going to talk about this whole notion of strategy, lifestyle, longevity, all of these things coming up on Tuesday. Let's remind everybody about uh, about that seminar. Yeah, so um, learn, profit, and protect in, in, in today's markets. Um, so Dave and Faisal will be speaking at, uh, on Tuesday, August 21st at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits Beer. Please give us a call and register. You can get us at 966-8400. Once again, 966-8400. Okay, you can register online at PKAG. Also, we're happy to get uh, to receive your emails, uh, but stick around after the break. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. There's, there's research that indicates that. We're going to tell you how to make sure you maintain brain health and the exercises that you can do after the break here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew today on More Than Money. Um, and Andrew, we talk a lot about uh, the process of retirement and um, the quality of retirement often depends not just on money. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. tends to focus on that, but it is around um, health, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, health, physical health can come in a number of uh, sort of different formats. It can be ambulatory, but certainly mental health is a big part of what we all talk about, cognitive function. And cognitive function tends to change yeah, as we know, age. There's a lot of talk about that in the media and, and um, different ways of um, following cognitive health and what you can or can't do, um, whether that be online, using uh, different apps or whatever else. But uh, it, is, it is definitely 
uh, a new subject that's being bridged more and more. Frequently. Well, and the, and, and the question is, can you work on it, right? Mm-hmm. Is this something you can do, you know, can you do mental weights and improve it? We're going to find out because we've got Dr. Anthony Levinson. He's an associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral neurosciences at McMaster University. Dr. Levinson, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's, let's talk about what parts of cognitive function, first of all, change as we age. What can we expect as a normal part of aging? Well, there are, when we talk about cognitive function, we often divide it into a variety of different functions. So we talk about uh, memory, the ability to learn new things, retain old things. We talk about attention as another key domain of cognitive function. Uh, There's one called executive function, which is really uh, more complex, uh, multitasking, problem solving, organizing and sequencing. And then there are, uh, there's visual spatial ability. Uh, sometimes people divide things into other ones, but with age, mm-hmm. things like processing speed, some memory functions, learning new or complicated information or complicated tasks, we consider it to be relatively normal that some of those abilities decline a little bit with normal aging. Uh, there are other things that don't. So, for example, uh, your, your verbal knowledge, your comprehension or mm-hmm. understanding, uh, building up, increasing your vocabulary, those are, are domains that are relatively uninfluenced by aging that um, you know, tend to, to keep going strong uh, through your older years. It's interesting. I'm going to ask, a, I guess, a, a personal question because I need to know if I need to go to the emergency room right away. But my, <laughs> my ability to focus as I get older, um, tend, I'm finding it harder. And I can't just tell if there's more things going on or if this is a, a part of normal aging or literally do I need to go down to the hospital right now? Some some of that is just you. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> some, of the, some of that is definitely a component of normal aging. And, and, you know, the complexity of the tasks, when you've got a lot, we, we call it cognitive load. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're doing a radio broadcast, you've got uh, people annoyingly talking in your ear. You're trying to stay on task. You're, you're focusing on, uh, on your guests or questions, answers. So there's a little bit of that attention and cognitive processing speed that that does decline a bit with age and then depending on you know the the pylon of how many tasks uh, have you had a good night's sleep yeah. uh, there's other functions uh, how how uh, how much caffeine was in that coffee this morning which can sometimes help with attention so Again, it, it is going to depend. Um, a lot of it does uh, decline a little bit with age, and so you just have to uh, maybe try and balance how many things you're doing at once, how demanding the tasks are, uh, can you, can you uh, attend or keep your focus on uh, fewer things so that you're not uh, noticing some of what might be a natural decline in there. That's a very polite way, Andrew, for saying sorry that you're going to have to put up with this <laughs> well, with me. Yeah. Well, I, I was more interested to find out, you know, um, you brought up the idea of sleep and having more sleep yeah. or, or less sleep. And, you know, what what's good for uh, any adult, for that matter, and, and how much sleep you, one should get? Because I, I get different sort of reports for everybody. Now, I'm unlike Dave. I don't have a problem in that sector, but, <laughs> but still want to know. 
Well, the, you know, it, it differs a little bit for everybody, and there's some age-related changes in sleep, but probably seven, eight hours is a good uh, ballpark figure for people. But then it, it also has to do with the, the quality of the sleep. So a lot of people may get, you know, seven, eight hours, but they're, they're up throughout the night, so it's pretty fragmented, and they're, they're not necessarily getting the most restful, uh, restorative sleep. And that can definitely impact on some of the cognitive functions during the day. So, you know, I often suggest to people if their quality of their sleep is seems quite poor and they, they're sort of waking up tired and they're uh, feeling tired throughout the day, then it's probably worth seeing their doctor and getting checked out because there are certain sleep disorders that uh, can impact on your cognitive function as well. So, you know, I think uh, with cognitive functions, day to day, what you know there you may not notice some of these subtle declines or you know sometimes people will forget you know a, a name or yeah. a birthday or something like that if it's not impacting seriously on your day-to-day function your workplace uh, you know your occupation uh, occupational function or your uh, your relationships it, it's probably not the kind of thing that you need to dash down to the emergency department what we see is people who are beginning to develop more serious issues you know they're they're noticing that these are impacting on day-to-day function they're having trouble with banking they're having trouble remembering names of immediate family member they're forgetting appointments or forgetting to take uh, medicines and and those are more worrisome uh, declines in cognitive function often people notice it most with uh, a memory decline and those are definitely things that uh, should prompt one to go and, and have a more thorough medical assessment there's an old saying that says if you don't use it you lose it um, I want to know if that's true and if so are you know can we train our brain can you actually um, do exercises that will help stimulate cognitive uh, function I, I'm going to say that by and large that is a fairly true statement. Uh, so um, we, we have a, um, uh, an online health information portal at McMaster University called the McMaster Optimal Aging Portal. And one of the things that we do as part of uh, that free uh, health information website is we, we review the, the world's scientific literature and we try and identify the most credible trusted, best evidence scientific articles. And there was a a recent article that was published looking at uh, whether or not cognitive training might help to either slow some of these age-related declines or maybe help maintain some of those cognitive functions we were speaking about earlier. And really the bottom line is that cognitive-based training, uh, which involves really very specific types of uh, training, kind of deliberate practice exercises or training programs, seems to be able to help. Uh, there was uh, the, the bottom line from looking at really over 30 different studies with over 6,000 different healthy older adults says that uh, using it, doing these kinds of uh, practice exercises or training programs uh, can have a significant impact on, to, to moderately improve or, or certainly maintain overall cognitive function. Yep. And then uh, it looks like you can focus on 
specific areas like attention or visual spatial ability if you do uh, particular kinds of uh, training programs or practice exercises. So yeah, I'm going to say using it is good and and probably some of these specific kinds of training programs seem to be able to, to build up the brain muscle, if you like. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a good place. We'll have to leave it at that. But I think that um, that is a good way to look at it, right? It's got it does have to be used, stimulated somehow. And um, Andrew, we talk about that a lot mm-hmm. in quality of of retirement. A lot of people, you know, re- used to define retirement as leaving work. Um, well, well, it's not just that. Like right. brain function is absolutely monstrous well, and huge in regards in regards to a lot of different things. But you know, just being physically active, not only just you know mentally active, but physically active, is so important in retirement. Because if you're not doing something, yep. you're going to lose it. Yeah, I know. That's exactly yeah, right. I, Dr. Levinson, we're going to have to leave it there. But I, I want to thank you very much for your, uh, for your input today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. We've been joined by Dr. Anthony Levinson. He's Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at, at McMaster University. And, you know, you, you hear about these things, the luminosities of the world, right, Andrew, or doing something in retirement uh, to continue to stimulate your brain, have that positive stress, right? Yep. To accomplish something, and we see that anecdotally all the time. I mean, we're not research scientists, but with our own client base, we see that is a very effective way of maintaining a quality of life in retirement. Well, quality of life, thinking about what you're going to want to do, making sure you're you're doing something day day to day, and um, not only physically but mentally acting upon it. Yeah, um, those are all good things, and got to keep forward on. No, that's right. Well, we're going to talk about sort of that whole concept of lifestyle, right? Not yep. just brain health, but physical health. The four buckets, right? Health is one of those. We're going to talk about that uh, on Tuesday. Why don't we remind everybody about that upcoming seminar? We do have a seminar coming on Tuesday. That's Tuesday, August 21st. That's this Tuesday coming, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Um, to register, you need to give us a call at 966-8400. You can go to our website at pkag.ca. That will be great. Now, I want you to stick around for the break because we're going to talk about communication. We're going to talk with the communication specialists about how to have some of those very tough and uncomfortable conversations with your family that you may be faced with as you move into retirement and you age. Stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. You know, communication is always important, right? We all know that. Mm -hmm. But there's some tricky conversations that you get into or potentially can get into when you move into retirement. Um, If you're doing will and estate planning, Mm -hmm. that can often lead to tricky conversations. Uh, If you're a business owner and you're involved in a business succession strategy and there's family members that are involved in the business or or not, not, right? Uh, that can lead to tricky conversation. So uh, this is um, this is an area that, unfortunately, Andrew, you and I see, and Faisal sees, um, some of the unintended consequences of either not having the conversation or not having it well. So we thought it would be useful to do a segment um, with an expert who coaches and helps people manage these conversations, uh, both in retirement and business success, uh, succession planning. And we welcome Trudy Peltier, who's a communications specialist with Simply More to the show. Trudy, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate being here. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this notion of communication. Um, and I, I'm indifferent as to whether or not we're talking about you start with retirement or business planning, but maybe give us a, an idea of where you see in your professional experience people get stuck and create problems for themselves. Well, people get stuck by avoiding the difficult issues and uh, avoiding conflict. So if there's been a recurring conflict or concern, um, rather than take it on, um, they 
most likely avoid it. And it's all with good intention. It's because they don't want to hurt anybody or they don't want to rock the boat. And unfortunately, when something gets swept under the rug, it throws infestors and erodes trust and communication. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> that was, have, was that the Coles Notes version? Uh, yeah, we have yeah. seen the unintended consequences uh-huh. of that. Okay. So um, let's start with retirement. So in your, again, in your professional experience, and we see this all the time, where we see the difficult conversations um, is often with family. Uh, it has to do with perhaps um, children living at home, right? It's time to go. It is uh, with money. So kids um, requiring capital for down payment on a house or something to support them in some way and perhaps affecting mom and dad's retirement plan. And it certainly is prevalent amongst, um, um, amongst legacy planning. So when people are sitting down to do their wills, right, and uh, discuss their wishes and how they would like things uh, to be settled uh, when they're gone, it often can be a very tricky conversation. Your experience, uh, Trudy, tell us a little bit about how people can prepare for that conversation and then um, perhaps how they can have that conversation with family. Well, one of the first things to do that a person can do for themselves before even um, being in the conversation is really increasing their awareness as to how do I even think about this. And I'll give you an example. I was at an event last night. I met someone who's considering doing some retirement planning with me. So that's values-based, legacy-based planning. And his comment is, retirement is like euthanization for me. Wow. Wow. So most of us, I thought it was marvelous that he knows that because now that he's got the awareness that this is how he's thinking about retirement, we actually can transform it through conversation. Most people don't stop, pause to say, okay, so like, what do I really think about this? And both men and women get trapped with what we think we think about it, which is more our patterned views, our patterned ways of looking at things rather than what's looking at what's happening in the background. So that's one of the first things. It's like if I need to deal with an estate issue or if there's a a tough conversation with my kids because it's time that they get launched and stand on their own feet, um, you know, what there is to do is look at, well, like what's in the background? How am I thinking about this? What are my worries and concerns about this? What do I feel about this? And get that up on the table because that alone creates space for a different kind of conversation. Well, and I think it's even trickier than that um, in the sense that there's there's often two people, a couple involved mm-hmm. in this, and there can often be, we, we often are often see assumptions being made um, that the way, you know, one person is thinking about it is the way the spouse is thinking about it as well. And I would say in my experience that that's not always true. Well, I tend to see the same thing, Dave. Yeah. You know, and and, and while, while we're, we're unique in what we do, but uh, we still see... Um, a husband might suggest he's going to play golf every day, and the wife's going, well, i got other plans for you. i got that honey-do list. Um, right. And it changes things up quite a bit. Um, and, and what they're going to do and where they're going to do it and how it's going to be happening. So yeah. it, it is confliction right there. Yeah. So, um, Trudy, back to you for a second, because I'm, I'm curious as to where to start that conversation. Yeah. So you had this gentleman say to you, it's like euthanasia, um, that that it would be interesting, and I don't know if you've had a conversation with uh, him and there's another person involved, but um, the differences in how people perceive this, whatever the topic may be, is also, I think, critically important. 
Yes, and you guys are speaking to one of the most common enemies of communication, and that is the assumptions and conclusions. Like, I already know what my wife is going to say, I, or I already know what my husband is thinking about how this is going to go. <laughs> and that I already know, the assumptions and conclusions occur like it's the truth or it's real, and it actually is the barrier to leaning in with curiosity and with questions and listening to learn. So that's one of the fundamental things that I do when I'm brought in, whether I'm working with couples or whether I'm working with a family, is look at what are some of the assumptions and conclusions that are barriers to asking some very important questions and having some really difficult conversations. I can remember in one of our early retirement conferences, Andrew, when we... um we decided to separate the guys and the gals at different <laughs> tables, and we asked them a very simple question. Tell us about, you know, how you're thinking about this transition into retirement. You know, what, um, what does it look like in your mind? And it was fundamentally different between the, the guys and the gals. I have to tell you, the women were generally terrified that the guys coming home are going to infiltrate her world. Right? Yes. I'm coming to coffee with you yeah. girls now. Oh no, you're not. No, no. So he uh, was, and we had some had fear on the boys too, but it was for different fears and different reasons. Yeah. But still, it was it was unbelievable. It was fundamentally different. So I think that's really important to address those assumptions. What you're thinking about may not be what your spouse is thinking about. Let's talk about some tips, uh, Trudy. So. Um, whether you're a retiree or a, a business owner, whatever the case may be, there's got to be some common tips, I think, for, for having those conversations, those tricky conversations effectively. Well, the first one is just start. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, you can acknowledge one of the things I encourage the people that I work with is when it is a risky conversation to actually put that on the table up front. Like, I feel like this is a tough issue and I'm committed that it goes well and I've got some anxiety about it or I've got some concern about it. So for sure, like just acknowledging that it's a risky or a tricky conversation, as you're calling it, can absolutely ease some of the tension. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing is, is to look at, so as human beings, we actually create patterns of how we listen to our spouses or how we listen to our kids and even how we listen to ourselves. So um, you want to look in to see whether or not you can discover, how am I listening to this person? And I'll give you an example. Um, I was working with a family and one of the, the second eldest son was the assumed successor. This Mm -hmm. wasn't a business transition. And he was the assumed successor and how one of the major concerns in the background is people listen to him like he's a bully. So we actually don't see that it's a listening filter or said another way, a lens that we're looking at someone through. We actually think that that's who they are. And so we label, we objectify. And so another tip is just to, again, confront what's there in your own space. How do I listen to this person? What's my view of this person? And that can alter how we go into a conversation. My final tip in this moment, because I know we're pressed for time, Mm -hmm. is our way of being is the source of the greatest impact on our communication. So we can go into our conversations being anxious or frustrated or being critical or being all-knowing. And that will, that being that will, will create a certain way of communication. 
and it'll produce a certain outcome, right. which fundamentally is no communication. If we go into our conversation and really practice being curious, see, when we're being curious, we are naturally asking questions. We're naturally listening at the edge of our seat. We're like no efforts required when we are being curious. And most of us uh, as adults have lost our sense of curiosity. Yeah, that's true. Um, We do have to leave it at that point. That's a point we could explore uh, beyond for sure. Maybe we'll have you back to do that. But I want to thank you, first of all, for taking some time with us today, Trudy. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. We've been joined by Trudy Peltier. He's a communications specialist at Simply More. Um, we're going to talk about the process, like the retirement lifestyle. Retirement yep. lifestyle, to get, that, uh, to get that done well, requires communication, my friend. And we're going to talk about a process to help people get on the same page and then fund the lifestyle that they want. Yeah, and uh, profit and protect and all those good things. We'll be having a seminar on Tuesday, uh, August 21st, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine Spirits Beer. If you'd like to join us, please give us a call at 966 8400 966-8400, or you could register as well at pkag.ca. All right, stick around after the break. We're going to talk about how to pass on your knowledge when you're approaching retirement um, to the people that you work with. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, Andrew, we talk about retirement all the time, and of course people are re- generally retiring from jobs. Yep. Right. And, I hope so. Oh, yeah, they're generally retiring from something. Well, they're, they're retiring from something, something, and they're moving on to something else, or at least that's my dream and, and what I'd like to see people Fair do. Enough. And I should say that many people are retiring from jobs because that's not necessarily the, the, the case in every, t- um, every case. But what we want to do is uh, often one of the legacies that you can leave in a company, right, mm-hmm. is, is coaching or a wealth, uh, I'm sorry, not a wealth, but a knowledge transfer on your way out. I know lots of people, as they move into retirement, they kind of slow their pace down, but they want to give back and they want to help the younger generation. And often that means yep. coaching. Now, that's valuable to companies as well, isn't it? Because we've got this massive demographic of experience and knowledge over the next 10 years about to leave the workforce. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at places like Calgary, a lot of that, uh, the, the, the older generation who is leaving that workforce is leaving the younger generation, and there's no sort of middle gap in between. Yeah. And they could really use the help. Well, let's, let's explore this a little bit. We've got Merj Gupta Sundarji, uh, who's a leadership speaker and a consultant, and she's also the founder of Turning Managers into Leaders. Merge, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Well, let's talk about what happens within a company when people retire. Well, um, unfortunately, most companies don't think about it as being an issue. Yeah. What happens is people retire, people with a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we're talking information that's experiential. Uh, it's undocumented. It's about processes. It's about people. It's about relationships. And they retire, walk out the door, and it isn't until they leave that the organization goes, my goodness, we've lost some really valuable information. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, it's an interesting, we we talk about or we hear about succession planning at the very highest levels of corporations, right? Boards of directors require that when, you know, your C-suite staff turn over, there's a period of time where that, you know, that, that succession takes place. But we forget about all of the other people in the organization who, as you said, possess a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'd even consider to call that intellectual property. Well, for sure it is. Um, Go I ahead. I agree completely, and it's ironic, isn't it, that the people with the, 
one-on-one relationship knowledge are the ones who walk out the door, and we don't always remember to capture that in some way. And Merge, mm-hmm. I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on record here and say that that I know a lot of people as they as they retire, um, they, they maybe don't phrase it the way you've just said it, but they they had somebody in their career that was older, more experienced, more mature, help them through their career, and they want to give back, right? This isn't something where people just want to walk out the door and that's it. I would say often people are in a position where they do want to coach, they do want a wealth uh, knowledge transfer to the next generation and so on and so forth. So how do you encourage either companies and or the retirees to actually share their knowledge? So it is really a two-way street. Ideally, you would think that companies would think about it, but as we've already discovered in my practice, they don't. Right. So um, the ones that do are smart enough to ensure that there's some sort of a crossover period. And I'm not talking, you know, three months of crossover. I'm talking of a period that's, you know, six months to two years where it really is a coaching and mentoring relationship. And if that comes from the organizational level, that's great because it means that they're smart enough to think about it and probably more important, they're willing to fund it. Mm-hmm. If most organizations, though, well, I shouldn't say most, many organizations get a little queasy about that because it costs to have, you know, people in two roles at the same time. So it's not really two roles at the same time. It's about just establishing some sort of a formal mentoring program in the organization for key positions. For key positions, and I think that's really important, but key position goes beyond just your C-suite, just your CEO. Oh, absolutely. The question I tell my clients to ask is I say, ask yourself, which of your veterans, and by veterans, I, I lose the, use the term loosely, I mean people who are thinking about moving on to other things that don't involve work. Mm-hmm. So ask yourself, which of your veterans have been invaluable to your business over the years? Uh, and then a second question I ask them to say is, which of your employees do you see as remarkable role models for your new recruits? Those are the people, those two sets of people are the ones that you want to capture. And you want to make sure you set up some sort of a relationship with your young and bright folks in your organization so that they develop those relationships. And by the time they're ready to walk out the door, you have people just just perfectly ready to sort of take over because they've already been there all along. Yeah, to take over the reins on that. So I'm curious, and just anecdotally, if you can share some of your experiences with you as you're working with companies, and obviously you don't have to name any names, but I'm curious as to the good, the bad, and the ugly that you've seen in, in, in this and, um, you know, what what the companies that embrace this, uh, how they benefit, and if you can share an example, that would be great, and those yeah, that absolutely. don't, yeah. Okay, so the the irony is that the ones that don't, um, don't probably, um, I, I don't know very yeah. many, I just hear those secondhand because they're, you know, in pretty difficult positions. But the ones who've thought about it uh, usually think about it because it's happened to somebody they know, and right. they're determined to not let it happen in their organization. Uh, and so uh, those are the ones who go a bit ahead and set up a formal mentorship program. So they've actually thought about it. They said, here are the five or 10 or 15 people in our organization that we, we really want to make sure we don't lose out, whether it's knowledge, whether it's experience, whether it's relationships. Because many times they're in the sales or business development portion of the organization, and you need to make sure that relationship continues. So they identify that. That's the first step. And it isn't as complicated as it sounds. It just requires a, you know, a little bit of thought and a little bit of consultation with people in the organization. And then you identify people in your organization who are young and who you've identified as the up-and-comers, the ones that you really see a future for in your organization. You match them up. Now, the really cool thing about doing that is when you match someone up with a young person, that young person actually has greater motivation to stay. Because the the comment I often receive is, you know, what if we invest all this time and effort in a young person and then they just up and leave? Well, that actually what happens is when you do this, it gives those young people more of a reason to stay because they have a bigger investment in the company. They feel like they belong and they have a reason to stay. So it is a little bit of, um, you know, they dovetail into one another. And I don't think people necessarily realize that. 
Now, um, along those lines, let me add yep. one more thought. The other thing that's also come up a lot is um, that, you know, in, in our old way of thinking, we always thought that when people retire, they retire. Well, the truth is that um, people who retire nowadays, many of them don't retire because they dislike working. They retire because they uh, want to explore and do other things. So there is an opportunity, actually, to create a little bit of a bridge instead of letting them retire. How about if you let them retire and work on a part-time basis? You know, how about if you let them retire and come back on a consulting basis? It allows that bridge to continue further. And it's a win-win because it gives the people who want to go off and do other things an opportunity to do so while still keeping, you know, one foot in the work camp. And it allows you to create a longer period of time over which you can create that bridge. Now, we've been talking about companies and what they can do on their side, but how could potential people that retire from that company bridge that, that, uh, that, um, that knowledge gap or, or that potential possibility with their employer? Agreed. So they need to bring it up. And, and here's the dilemma. The dilemma is that if you think you feel strongly about this and you bring it up, but you get absolutely no support from the organization, mm-hmm. it makes it a pretty untenable position to be in, right? You can't force this to happen. But what I've discovered is that sometimes when um, uh, people who are senior in organizations identify this and show a willingness to participate in the process, organizations are usually pretty happy uh, to say, well, yeah, if someone's willing to take the reins on this and spearhead this, uh, absolutely, we will provide the resources and the support you need. So many times, I guess the short answer to your question is many times it really does require you to bring it up. If you bring it up and start talking to the right people and identifying some of the potential issues with just letting, you know, me walk out the door in six months, organizations are usually pretty good about wanting to come in and say, yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I say organizations like they're a big amorphous mass. They're not, of course, right? They're people. You just have to target the right people in the organization to have those conversations with. Merge, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. It was a delight to be on with you. We've been joined by Merge Gupta Sundarji. She's a leadership speaker and a consultant, and she's also the founder of Turning Managers Into Leaders. You know, uh, we, a lot of that conversation might have sounded like it was a benefit just to the organization, but Andrew, we know from experience that there's a lot of benefit to people being able to transition coach, mentor, as they were yeah. coached, mentored uh, when they were young in their career. So that's often an, uh, a really good piece uh, of retirement and a great legacy in the company. It We've is. got an upcoming seminar, and we're going to talk about this whole lifestyle notion. Let's remind everybody about that. Uh, that's coming on uh, Tuesday this week, coming Tuesday, August 21st, um, at the uh, Co-op Spirits, uh, Wine, Beer, and Spirits uh, at Oak Ridge. Um, that's Tuesday, August 21st, 7 p.m. You can give us a call, register at 966-8400. That's once again, 966-8400, or um, send us a note on uh, pkag.ca. Okay, and we got to wrap this show up. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.